Well, good morning, church family. For those that don't know me, my name is Fritz Moga. Uh, I'm actually a member at Twin Cities Church. I live right down the road here, and I uh, teach at William Jessup University down in Rockland. But today, I'm going to actually start out by telling you about a little bit about my early jobs, my entry into the world of work. And my first job ever was at a place called Bumbleberry Pie Parlor. My kids still laugh. I guess we don't use the word parlor anymore. Um, I, ha I had a rough start into the working world. I was actually three hours late for my first day of my first job ever. Three hours late. I was at a track meet, and I was not about to let my team down and leave till we find out how I had scored. So... Um, so, so on my next job, uh, I moved two doors down to a movie theater. And I did well there, did well, and moved up to assistant manager. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had one of those jobs that uh, even when you're not on the clock, you hang out. You ever have one of those? It's just a fun place to be, like you just like the people. And that's how the movie theater was. So after I'd uh, uh, risen up to uh, assistant manager, one day I was down there with a couple buddies, college buddies and I, and we had a football. And we were just killing time and goofing off. And uh, one of the movie theaters was empty. The show had, there was three theaters and one of them had finished and, and there were no people in it. And we walked in there and I tell the one guy, go down and out and I'll hit you. I'll give you a pass. So he goes down and out and I drop back with my best Joe Montana impersonation and I let that fly. Joe Montana, I am not. And the poor guy reached as high as he could possibly reach. The ball sailed about a foot and a half over his outreached hands and went right through the screen. Right through the screen. The projectionist saw it from up in the booth. He comes tearing down the steps. Literally, my two friends had to hold him off while I could escape for the day. Moving on from there rather quickly... Um, <laughs> I, by a show of hands, how many old Spaghetti Factory fans are there out there? Yeah, I love it to this day. But I worked there for many years back in San Jose. And again, I thought I was a pretty good worker, a good employee, and a good waiter. And, uh, but, I, but, I, but I had that, that fateful day, that, that fateful moment when I had a big tray of food. You see where this is going? I had the salads, the spaghettis, a carafe of wine in the middle. And, and, and I ever so carefully, I promise you, took off one of the salads from this side. At which point it shifted just so slightly, just slightly enough that the spaghetti that was teetering on this side fell off. It hit a woman right about here. It draped down both sides of her body fell to the floor where, unfortunately, she had her purse wide open. So, uh, so I run to get some towels, and I come back, and she's like, okay, wallet, spaghetti, compact, spaghetti. Oh, it was not good. So, so I decided to go work for a Christian organization. And, uh, and I ended up doing an internship at an amazing place. It's right down the road here. It's called Christian Encounter Ministries. Christian Encounter, Christian Encounter Ministries, oh, we have a fan, uh, is actually a live-in discipleship ministry for troubled teenagers. Troubled teenagers come there and live uh, to get their lives sort of back on the road. And uh, I, I worked with specifically with their backpack ministry. I would take those troubled teens on backpacks as well as just other youth groups from, from wherever, whoever knew about us. So one of the jobs I was given as an intern was to clean out our office, which was just full of all kinds of backpacks and sleeping bags and all this kind of stuff. 
So I went back into the back room, and, and I'm a good, diligent worker, so I did what was requested of for me, and, and, and I took all the sleeping bags out, and I shook them out and got all the old dirt out of them and laid them on the ground. One, two, five, ten comfy sleeping bags. And, and they worked us interns to death, although my boss had the day off. I did not. And so when I saw those ten sleeping bags laying there, I said, you know, I'm tired. I've been working hard. And so we, I was in a little back room. I closed the curtain and I laid down for just a moment, just, just a moment of rest. And uh, my boss, who had the day off, uh, forgot something in the office. So he, he comes back into the office. He doesn't see me. He pulls back the curtain and there I am. Like, I was just out. I was gone. I was literally caught sleeping on the job. I was caught sleeping on the job. Well, do me a favor and grab your message notes and pull those out now. And I'm going to start us off with a question. And it says this. What job have you been given at which you are in danger of falling asleep? Metaphorically speaking, what job have you, maybe not so metaphorically even, what job have you been given that you are in danger of falling asleep? For example, if you're a parent, parenting is hard work. It's never done. It's never ending. One word, teenagers. And so maybe you're beginning to fall asleep in your job as a parent. How about a worker? Maybe you're in that position right now where you, you really just don't care for your job, but you get up every day and you drive somewhere and you work there so you can get that paycheck so you can come home and pay for the needs you have. But, but maybe you're just tired. Maybe you don't really like it anymore. How about a student? Our college starts up next week again, and uh, schools have started around here, and I know the amount of work that our students are going to have to do. And it's not just reading and tests and things, projects and things such as that. They've got a social responsibility. Just keeping up on their Facebook alone is a big job. <laughs> but I know as the semester goes on, they're going to grow weary. They're going to grow tired of being a student, and they will fall asleep literally sometimes in class, if not figuratively, being tired of what they're doing. Or how about just the job of life? Maybe, maybe you're just living life, and, and life's tough. I know. I've lived some of it. It's just tough. And maybe you've come to the point where you're tired. You're just tired of all that has to go on to keep the wheels moving. So maybe there's a, a job that you're in danger of falling asleep at, that you've been assigned it in this life. Well, let's see what our scripture has to say today that's going to help us walk through some of this. Do me a favor, grab a Bible. If you grabbed one out in the lobby, I can help you out and tell you to turn not only to Matthew 24, but I can tell you it's on page 755. So flip open to Matthew chapter 24, verse 45, and you can follow along in a Bible or up on the screen. It says this, A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing the other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. What if the servant is evil and thinks my master won't be back for a while? He begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Well, so the overall picture of this passage is that of servants, and they're awaiting the master's return, at, which is an, an unknown time. Now, a definition of servant for this is this, a manager or a steward who is in, a senior member of the household staff who's entrusted with considerable responsibility. And in this time, the master is away. This servant is the master's right-hand person. They've been given these responsibilities, and the master plans that they will take care of them in the right way. Well, actually, as I started looking at this scripture, I, I realized that in, in the original language, verse 45 actually starts out, who then is a faithful servant? It's a question. Who then is a faithful servant? Well, I can't jump in and start with a question. Uh, if you're going to do that, you've got to begin to look at some of the context and say there, there, something's happened before this time that's going to help me understand this scripture. So that's what I did when I jumped in here. And so I jumped up ahead and I said, uh, verse 36, okay. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Well, I'm still full of questions. What day, what hour, what things? So our search continues. And I went all the way back to the beginning of the chapter and it says Jesus foretells the future. Okay, now it's starting to help me out a little bit. We're going to find out about something that Jesus is going to do in the future. And as I work my way back through this chapter, I come to verse 30. It says this, The sign that the Son of Man is coming, that Jesus is coming, will appear in the heavens. Jesus, at some point, is going to come back and appear in the heavens. Verse 42, So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. And then verse 44, you also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. The Son of Man will come when least expected. So now when I read who then is a faithful servant, I understand this. Who is the person who will be ready when Jesus returns? And we don't know when that is going to be, but we do not want to be found asleep at our job. We do not want to be found asleep. So the scripture then we're going to talk about uh, shares about two types of servants or kind of two ways of carrying out a job. In verse 45, it says a faithful, sensible servant. Let me give you some qualities of a faithful and sensible servant. One, they honor their master in their absence by working diligently at their job. They're going to honor their master while the master is away. I had the opportunity where I live to uh, be the head pool boy for a couple years in the little community I'm at, which means I spent my time uh, a couple summers hanging around the pool. I was overseeing about 15 high school and young college people. And when I was there, when I was on the clock, they worked diligently because I made them. And so they scrubbed the tables and they raked any leaves in the area and they told people, no running and you can't have food in here. I even one day made them turn over all the chairs and, and scrape gum off. But every once in a while, I would show up not on the clock. I would show up unexpected. And when I would walk in, I'd be, well, I'd look around the pool. Where's my yellow shirted monitors? Where are they? And I would turn around and I would notice that in the air-conditioned office would be the monitors sitting there enjoying a cold beverage and reading a People magazine. A faithful and sensible servant is one who honors the person that's over them by working diligently. Another thing that they're going to do is they're going to give an account of their activities. 
how they've spent their time. Uh, they're going to take care of very specific responsibilities. A sensible servant will do that. It says in our scripture, it says it gives the other servants food. They had a very special designation for that. They're humble. They don't exalt themselves over the other servants. And they care for those that are under their authority. When I was the pool monitor, we had a, uh, one of those little refrigerators in our office, and I had that the entire summer just stocked with ice-cold waters. And then they had, I don't know if you've ever seen them, those little tiny freezers you kind of pull down, you know? And if you open that little tiny freezer in there, there would always be popsicles and otter pops. Yeah. So a, a, a good boss takes care of those. A good, a good servant is going to take care of those that are under them. It says in our scripture, because of their hard work, because they are faithful with what they're doing, they're actually going to be rewarded with more responsibility that the master's going to give them. What an honor that is for the master to arrive back and say, wow, you have done well. Here, I will entrust you with even more of my job, my responsibility. It's a great privilege to have that. Well, the second type of, type of servant or the second way of carrying out a job, according to our scripture here, is the evil servant. The evil servant. Let me give you some qualities of the evil servant. They take advantage of the fact that the master is away. Remember those aforementioned pool monitors who took advantage of the fact that the boss was not around. They exploit other workers. In verse 49, it says they begin to beat their fellow servants. They're selfish and uncaring. It says they, in verse 49 as well, they begin to party. They begin to just hang out, not do their job. They begin to get drunk. When I worked at the movie theater, uh, there was a young man who developed quite a drinking problem. And he was, he was well known for his Friday night, Saturday night escapades of drinking. Uh, but he was also, a, you know, a worker. And so this young man, no matter what he did on Friday night, would show up noon Saturday to work at the movie theater. He would show up. He would be horrible. He would be hungover. He would be worthless, but he would show up. And we had these big, big movie theater curtains, big, huge curtains on the sides of the screen. And this young man would come in, and as soon as a movie would start, as soon as the lights were lowered, he would go to one side or the other of the movie screen. He would pull out that curtain. He would shove himself up against the wall where he would doze off for a while till the manager would eventually find him somewhere, and they're kicking around. He did not take his job seriously. He did not do what was required from him. He didn't get the job done. The evil servant are unkind. They're ungracious. They don't take care of others. In fact, they are the very opposite of diligent. And instead, they are in idle, or they're idle, and they're inactive. They're not doing what they were supposed to. Now, it says, it, it says in the Scripture that then when the master returns unexpected that because of their poor work ethic, they will be punished. It says they will be cut to pieces and assigned a place with the hypocrites. First of all, let me say, I'm really glad that wasn't my boss at the movie theater. <laughs> I'd have been in big trouble. Uh, this is the trickiest part of this passage to understand. What does that mean? Well, one thing it could mean is that the, the evil servant was um, cut to pieces. It could mean that. It wouldn't have been unheard of in that day. Certainly the master had the right with a servant to treat them in that manner. So it could be that. But it does say that after they were cut to pieces, they were assigned a place. With the, they were assigned a place. And so others would say it's metaphorical, meaning that they will be punished with the utmost of severity. 
the evil servant will be punished with the utmost of severity. So at least we can say that, is the evil servant will be dealt with harshly. They'll be dealt with harshly. So there's a nice practical application here. If you are that worker, parent, student, or if your job is life right now, the practical application is you're to work hard at it, to be diligent, to do everything you can to show yourself approved as a worker. But I think we can't stop there. There's a much deeper spiritual meaning behind this. There's some spots you can fill in on your notes. And the first one says this. Ready? The faithful and sensible servant is the follower who believes Jesus will return soon and honors God with their life. The faithful, sensible servant is a follower who believes. There's an urgency. They think Jesus could come at any moment. It's unexpected. We don't know when. And as a result, I'm not, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to honor God with everything I do. There's an urgency about it. The evil servant, on the other hand, is a follower who doesn't really believe Jesus will return soon. And they spend their time goofing off. Check that out. The evil servant in the story is still a follower. There's still someone who believes in Jesus, but, but they're they don't think it's really going to happen the way that we read. They're like, oh, yeah, that whole coming again thing, that's way out there. I don't have to be concerned about that now. There's no urgency in that. So I'm just going to spend my life, spend my time goofing off doing what I want to do, and we'll let that all work itself out later. Hmm. The master, the Lord Jesus, will return. He will return, and we are waiting for that time. But our waiting shouldn't be passive waiting. I, I hate passive waiting. I hate sitting in a doctor's office. I can't stand to be on hold on a phone. And don't even get started about having to sit in standstill traffic. I hate to passively wait for anything. And a study came out recently about driving, and people said they would be willing to pay $2,500 a year if it guaranteed them they would never have to sit in traffic. Now, we up here in this area, we don't even know what that's all about. But if you go down into the cities, nobody wants to wait passively. But we're waiting. We're waiting for Jesus to return. So our waiting is to be characterized by action. How is this for a great phrase? Active waiting. Actively waiting. What does actively waiting look like? Well, it's interesting that in the scripture that we're talking about today, in the, in the New International Version, it says this in verse 45. The only job that the diligent servant is given, it says, is to give other servants their food at the proper time. To feed and care for people. While we are waiting for Jesus, the job that is assigned, the job that is entrusted to us, the best thing we can do with that time is to take care of people, to feed and watch over people while we actively wait for that day when Jesus will return. Not sitting by idly, but doing something active while we wait. So I have a question for you, big question. When Jesus returns, what do you want to be caught doing? When Jesus returns, what do you want to be caught doing? For me, some days would be better than others. On those days when I'm 
rebellious and ignorant and mean and sinful. And I got to tell you the truth. There's a lot of those days. I'm like, Lord Jesus, do not come at this hour. (laughs) Don't show up now. Give me a couple hours. And there's some of those days. But my good days, my good days would be like this summer. This summer, I had an opportunity to take some students from the college I teach at to Sao Paulo, Brazil, to work in the favelas, to work in the slums there. Sao Paulo is a city of 20 million people. 20 million. There's poverty everywhere. And so we would spend our days going into these favelas that are everywhere. And we were working with a a ministry that's already established there. And we would put out these huge speakers and we'd blast this music and kids would just start pouring out of these buildings to come to the program. And we'd play games with them. We'd jump, we'd dance, and we'd sing. The point was to ultimately build relationships with them. That we could call them by name, even if it's just for the day that we were there working with them that we would know who they are and that the ministry we're working with and they're in there every week would develop these relationships. We'd teach them about the Bible and then ultimately every place we went, we would talk to them about Jesus. How do you accept Christ into your life? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Oh Lord, come on this day. Jesus, if you're going to come back, come today. That's what I want to be caught doing when Jesus returns. If that's the case, if that's the kind of thing I want to be caught doing, then guess what? I need to have these kind of days every day. I need to have this kind of day every day. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you've been to Uganda with our church or another missions place you've gone to serve or just a service opportunity down in Sack, Loaves and Fishes here in our city. There's so many wonderful places you can serve. You know what it's like to be doing something worthy. But you know the reality? I can't go to Brazil every day right now. I can't run down into the middle of urban sack every day and do ministry. And neither can you. So we need to be making a difference wherever we're at every day. So when you wake up in the morning with your family, will you make a difference? Will you do something When you leave your house and you go out into your work, there are people at your work that are hurting, that are lonely, that are afraid. Can you touch their lives? How about wandering around in the community? Don't drive places and walk through stores just on your business. Drive and walk on God's business. Be the vessel that he would use you wherever you're at to touch people. And it includes this church. We look pretty good in here today, but I know that inside there's so many of us that are hurting and are lonely and we just need somebody to come alongside of us. That's what I want to be caught doing when Jesus returns. The scripture uh, in verse 46 in the New International International Version says, says it this way and I love it. It says, it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so. Hey, guess what? If you're doing good, if you're on track, if you're living for Jesus, When he returns, he's going to be pleased. And it's going to be good for that servant when the master finds you doing so. When we were uh, coming back from Brazil, I was trying to help our students readjust to life back home. 
Uh, re-entry, it's called. We'd only been gone a couple weeks, but things change. And so I asked them these questions. What was it like coming home? How are you different? What do you want to do with what you learned and you experienced in your time in Brazil? One young lady wrote this. I think the hardest thing for me once coming back to the U.S. was adjusting to what was normal before the trip. Listen to this line. Because what was normal before isn't and cannot ever be normal again for me. My world got so rocked, I don't ever want to feel my life isn't what it should be or that I'm not doing anything to further God's kingdom. And so, with this transformation of my thinking, I have been inspired to make the constant and continual effort to work every day with a purpose, the purpose of living for God and for the manifestation of His glory. Every day is new, and I have to choose to make a difference in my life every day. I've learned that it isn't something that necessarily comes easy for me. So it is a daily challenge that God is helping me through. Wise words, aren't they? Wise words. Because what was normal before, when you realize the urgency, the reality that Jesus will come, it will be unexpected, we cannot plan for it, we must be ready for it. When we realize that our lives should go forward, we can never go back to how we lived. We can never just take life easy. We have to look and see, God, what do you have for me? I love that she says that. It transformed her thinking, and then she had a purpose that every day she would live for Jesus. Every day, wherever she spent her day, that she would live for Jesus. If you want to be a faithful servant, as you wait for Christ to return, you also need to make the diligent effort to work every day with a purpose, and that purpose is to live for God. Do me a favor. Flip over to 1 Peter, page 937. 1 Peter. 1 Peter just echoes so beautifully what we've been reading about in this parable. Let me read to you, starting with uh, verse 2, 2 and 3 to start. Verse Peter 5, 2 and 3. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. To recap, all he's saying there is take care of others because you want to. Don't be selfish. Don't be greedy. Don't think too highly of yourself, but be humble. Be a good example to others. And then I love verse 4. And when the great shepherd appears, when the master returns unexpected, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. You will receive your reward for being a faithful, sensible, diligent service. But then Peter goes on to give us a little bit of a warning, a little bit of a heads up. Look in verse 8. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. Peter's going to give us three things to remember as we wait for the Lord to return. We're all waiting. Here's three things we need to remember 
in this active waiting time. The first one, number one, be alert. Be alert. Your enemy is prowling around. Keep your eyes open. Don't get complacent. Don't doze off in life. Number two, be smart. Recognize this fact. Satan, who is a roaring lion but masquerades as an angel of light, is looking for someone. He's looking for someone who is weak, unstable, unprotected. Satan is looking for the sleepy to take them down. And number three, be strong. Be strong. Resist the devil. Stand firm in your faith. How do you do that? One, you've got to know this book. You've got to spend time reading God's words. This is what we go to battle with against Satan. He does not want you to do well. He does not want you to succeed. He does not want you to serve. He does not want you to draw closer to God. And when you know these words, you can battle him. You can quote scripture. You can cling on to it for strength. You must start here. But you also need to pray with and for people. Pray with and for people. And then I've mentioned so much today about serving. Be willing to serve. That's the job that we were given. That's the job that was assigned to us, to serve those around you. And then lastly, I love that it says in there, uh, you know, surround yourself with strong, faithful, godly friends. Connect to a body of believers. This church, another church, connect. Because when hard times come, when Satan is out to get you, it is these people right here. It is your Christian, your following friends that are going to be able to carry you through that. They're going to support you. They're going to encourage you. They're going to carry if need to. And, and the scripture even says that. There are brothers and sisters around the world who are facing the same things as you are. You may think you're alone, but there are many people struggling with the same things. So he tells us while we wait to make sure that we are strong, we're alert, we need to read our Bible, pray, surround ourselves with good people, and go out and serve. Well, although my work career started out a little rough, I think I found my groove in teaching at the university. I think I got my niche finally. So I'm going to read a little card that a student wrote a few years ago for me. Hey, Fritz, just wanted to say thank you for all the hard work you do with your classes and for genuinely caring about your students. It's really meant a lot to me that you ask me how I'm doing and that you take the time to pray for me. P.S., just want to let you know you've really confirmed my passion for missions and I've used a lot of stuff from your classes. I've been carrying this card for about three years. This card means more to me now than it used to. The young lady that wrote this graduated in June. She is now serving in Cambodia, helping young people get out of the human trafficking business. And it has nothing to do with me. It has to do that she has decided to live every day with purpose in her life, living for Jesus. And for me, all I can say is, whew, no more sleeping on the job for me. I think I've made it. Our, thanks, please. The band's going to sing a song for us. It's a song called Nothing Without You. It is filled with powerful words and images. The last stanza actually says this, Take my time here on this earth and let it glorify all that you are worth. For I am nothing. I am nothing without you. And as you listen, I want you to ask yourself today's big question, but I want you to personalize it. When Jesus returns, what do I 
want to be caught doing. God, we would ask that you would take our time on this earth. In fact, that we would give you our time on this earth. And that everything we would do would glorify you. And we recognize, as that song says, that we are nothing. We don't do this to look good. We don't do this to gain points. We do this because we honor you. We want to be found worthy when you return, Lord. Give us the strength and the wisdom to accomplish this each day. In Jesus' name, amen.